I don't know about you, but I feel like we've been ushered into the presence of God this morning through the worship music provided by our worship team. I appreciate their spirit and their uh, willingness to use the talents God has given them for his honor and his glory. Thank you guys so very, very much today. Now we want the most intelligent, most handsome, most beautiful, strongest, and sweetest people in our fellowship to come up here on the stage right now. Here they come. Here they come. All right, line up here, boys and girls. Yeah, let me ask you all something. Uh, how many of you know what month this is? What month is it? It's March, and we're going to do something this month. We're going to march to the cross because what happens at the end of the month? Does anybody know what the last Sunday is? It is Easter. And what is Easter? Of Jesus' death and resurrection. Is that what you were going to say? Yeah. And so we're going to march to the cross all month. So today's the first one. And we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 22, verse 8, the Bible talks about the disciples going into town and finding a, an, a room upstairs. How many of you have an upstairs room? Let me see your hand. How many of you have upstairs rooms? How many of you don't have upstairs rooms? Okay, all right. Well, the Bible says they went to the upper room, a room upstairs, and there they, they were with Jesus, and he took the, the bread and the juice, and he passed it out, and they fellowshiped together. They communed together. Now, let me tell you something. You don't have to have an upstairs to have your own personal, private upper room. You can have one story, and you can have your own room. Have any of you seen the war room? Any of you seen the war room? We're going to have that at the church the Monday after Easter. War room. Unbelievable movie. And you've got to see it. And, and okay, you saw it, right, Olivia? So there was a room set aside. What kind of room was it? A tiny, tiny room. It was a closet, actually, and it was a little tiny room, and that's where some incredible, incredible battles were won as, as the lady went in there and prayed, and God answered prayers. So you can have an upper room. It might be a closet. It might be on your rack. It might be in prison. It could be. Yeah, it could be in a hospital bed, wherever your upper room is, where you come into the presence of Jesus Christ, and you decide you're going to meet with him all the time. So guess what? In your room, in your closet, in your house, in your backyard, if you've got a fort, if you've got a, a, a clubhouse, if you've got something where just you go, and you go there, and you meet with God, that can be your upper room. Yes, ma'am. That would work. That would so totally work. A big room and got the bed right there. That's okay. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Because a lot of times that battle goes on right here in our own heart. So, you know what? So I want everybody here. I want you all to, you got to do, you got an assignment. You got homework this week, okay? How many like homework? You love homework. Yeah. Rest, yeah, okay. I didn't have my hand up. Uh, so here's your homework. 
Find a place where you can go and you can talk to God and you can pray to God and you can let God know how you're doing and ask him what he wants you to do. And let's march. Let's practice marching. Can you march left, right, left, right, left? Okay, a little higher, a little higher. We're going to march to the cross. All right, good deal. We're going to march to the cross all this month. And then Easter's the last Sunday we're going to celebrate together. Let's bow our heads, okay? Father, we thank you so much for every boy, every girl, for every mom and dad here, for every person, for every guest, for every member. God, we thank you that you've allowed us to be together today. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts and show us what you want us to do and to be and to say. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. God bless you. Off to your Sunday school classes and learn what your teachers have for you today. Everybody else, turn to that chapter in Luke, chapter 22. If you have an old-fashioned like this kind of a Bible, you know, with actual pages and leather and stuff, then go ahead and open that up. And the seat backs, there are Bibles, uh, hard copies. And then if you have your smartphone, you can also go ahead and do that because I want to talk to you about this upper room and the upper room experience that, uh, that Jesus had. Now, on Good Friday, can you all put this on your calendar? It's on the church calendar, I believe, but on Good Friday, what we want you to do is to join in with the rest of us as we participate in a community walk to the cross. How many of you are familiar with the community walk to the cross in Coronado? Let me see your hands. Okay, not very many. I've never, I wasn't aware of it, but what they do is they meet together on Good Friday night, and and actually they start over at Coronado Southern Baptist Church, and uh, First Baptist Church is the second stop. Uh, on, and that, and how many churches do they go to? Do we? All of them, 722 churches. It's going to be a kind of a long walk, so be sure to bring. Fitch, you're being so serious. I know there's not really 722 churches, so I'm just kidding. So, yeah, we're going to walk to several, maybe all of them. I don't know. And so uh, hopefully it'll be a testimony to the community that's not necessarily saved, doesn't understand about, you know, Christianity and about walking to the cross. Um, so I want you to be part of that in a united effort, uh, and, and we'll talk more about that later on. But today we talk about walking to the cross by way of the communion table or the upper room. Uh, this walk will continue the next three weeks until we come to the last week of, of, uh, of this month, which is, of course, Easter. So I want you to know before the tomb was the cross, before the cross was the interrogation and the trials, before those were the betrayal by a friend named Judas Iscariot, before that there was an arrest and persecution in the Garden of Gethsemane, beginning there. And before all of that, there was the upper room. The upper room was a prophetic place. The upper room was a poetic place. The upper room can be a symbolic place, as I was sharing with the kids. And it was all instituted at a feast. Did you know, how many know that Jesus liked dinner parties? Yeah, he did. There was a dinner for outcasts in Luke chapter 5. You're not there? I'll get to Luke 22 eventually. But the Bible says later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor, and many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the, the uh, uh, Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? They didn't like these tax collectors who were often Jews who worked for the Roman conquerors. They didn't like them. Why do you eat with such scum? And Jesus said healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. When's the last time you went to the doctor? Maybe not so long ago, maybe a long time ago, but I will guarantee you, you did not go to the doctors because, you know what, doc, I'm feeling so good. Nothing's wrong. Everything's working right. I'm just this amazing. I just feel, I feel good, you know. 
You didn't go. You, you went because something was hurting, something wasn't feeling good, something wasn't working right, and so you went to the doctor. It's the sick people who need a doctor. And, and Jesus said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You don't go to a doctor unless you know you need to go. If you're a guy, you don't go even when you need to go. You only go when your wife harasses you to the point where you have to go, you know. So, so, he was, so here's Jesus at this dinner party for these outcasts. He, he routinely hung around with people who were not so popular with the religious leaders of the day. Second thing, he, he went to a dinner attended by an immoral woman. Not just attended by an immoral woman, but listen to this. In Luke chapter 7, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So the, you know, the Pharisees were figuring out, boy, this guy, he, he likes dinners, parties, so we'll invite him to ours. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Here's where it gets kind of, you know, this is where they started attacking him for what happened next. She knelt down behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say it out loud. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's, she's such a sinner. And Jesus, listen to this. Answering his thoughts. If you think you can think something that Jesus doesn't know you're thinking, you, I think you're wrong. He knows your thoughts. And so he turned to this guy who was thinking, man, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't let her anywhere near him. And he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon said, yes, sir. Go ahead, teacher. And then Jesus told him a story. A, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver, silver, which was equivalent to a full day's pay, to one, 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon said, I, Simon said, Simon said, Simon said, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your house, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. And by the way, that was a custom. It was an appropriate custom. In those days, when they would travel on dusty roads, they would get somewhere. They needed to have their feet cleaned because they would recline. I don't understand the, the, the tables. They weren't like we have with tables with chairs like these. They, they would recline at a lower table, much like they do or have done in places in Asia. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but they I, in Korea in 1977, you'd go in and, and you would sit down on the ground cross-legged or however you could. And so your feet sometimes were in close proximity to someone else's face. <laughs> how do you like that? So, uh, so they, they usually would offer to wash their feet. They'd give them a basin of water. Uh, you didn't offer to do that, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the first several times I read that, I thought it, that sounded really weird. She actually washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And I thought, that's strange. And, and it, 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 it breaks my heart now to think about it. She was such a broken woman. And she so loved him. She, she washed his feet with her tears and, and wiped them with her hair. He said, furthermore, to Simon, Jesus said, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume that costs a year's wages, a year's worth of wages. 
I tell you, her sins are many. You're right about that, buddy. But they've been forgiven. She has so much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, and everybody probably gasped out loud when he said this, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves. <laughs> they, never, they never talked to you know, Jesus directly about this kind of stuff. You know, they have a thought. I, uh, you know what kind of woman that was. And, and then they were talking among themselves. Who is this man that he goes around saying your sins are forgiven? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So he went to banquets and dinners where there were a bunch of outcasts and sinners. He went to one where a, a, an immoral woman, I, I guess maybe a prostitute, I don't know, was anointing his feet with 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 her tears, wiping them with her hair, anointing them with oil, um, and and kissing his feet, and uh, and all of that. And he said, "Your sins be forgiven." He went to another one, another dinner that cost a man, a rich man, half of his wealth. In Luke chapter nineteen, see, I'm getting to Luke chapter twenty-two. I'm getting closer and closer and closer and closer. In Luke nineteen five, Jesus entered, Jer- entered Jericho and made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and the reason. In, in the region, he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. I love this guy. He was too short to see over the crowd. I hadn't been here any time at all, and I'm, I'm baptizing Neil, 7 foot, 21 inches tall, or whatever he is. I don't know. I just look up, and I see clouds before I see his face. Uh, so you tall people, you know... Um, yeah. Uh, so anyhow, he was too short to see the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. How do you know who that was? Do you have a name tag? Said Zacchaeus. He knows because he's the son of God and God the son. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly came down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased because he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. This guy rips us off. He works for the IRS. I said this once in my other church that he worked for the IRS, and I actually had some guy who was there from Fresno who works for the IRS, and he got ticked that I said that. Sorry. He, he, if you work for Fresno, you need to get an honest job. So uh, anyhow, he... He, uh, he worked for the IRS, and they grumbled, the Bible says, a notorious sinner. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, listen to this. I didn't hear any of the religious crowd say this. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to your house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man, which was a title of deity that Jesus gave to himself. The son of man came to seek to save those who are lost. So I've got good news, bad news for you. The bad news is this. If, if you're not a sinner, then Jesus didn't come for you. That's the bad news. You're on your own if you're not a sinner. However, comma, the good news is you're a sinner. And Jesus came for you. He came to seek and to save the lost. Then there was the fourth one was a Passover dinner in Luke chapter 26 that we talk about uh, with the Lord's Supper. So the upper room was a place of intimate spiritual fellowship here uh, in the upper room. It was a synonym for devotion. Uh, David Brainerd, one of the great missionaries to the American Native Americans, uh, back when I was a kid, American Indians, but now they're Native Americans. So he, he was a missionary to them. He had a forest and, and, and a place in the forest. That was his upper room. Adniram Judson, his upper room was a a prison. Uh, the Apostle Paul, his upper room a lot of times was jail. 
Um, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, a lot of other things. He, he, he was in prison in the uh, Bedford prison for over 12 years at one time for preaching the gospel without a license. He was a Baptist, preached the gospel without a license, and for that they put him in jail for 12 years. But it became an upper room for him. You can make an upper room of wherever you are. You're on some, uh, you know, you're carrying those crazy boats over your head, guys. You know, you need to get out of yourself and kind of be in your upper room. Let that be your upper room, your happy place. I get to carry my boat. I get to carry these logs. I get to dive into that gooey water. You know, I get to sit here and sing and make sugar cookies and all that kind of stuff. Let let. Those places be your places of the upper room. It's a place of revival, the Pentecost. It, was, it connects us with the Christians in Acts chapter 12. So if we're going to talk about the upper room, we're talking about communion today, then there's a preparation that has to take place, and that's the first point. Preparation, getting ready for fellowship, and we see, first of all, the command. And finally, after about 12 minutes, I am in the text, Luke chapter 22, verse 8, okay? Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat together. Hey, John... Hey, uh, listen, I want you and, and Peter to go, I want you to go prepare a place. We're going to have, we're going to have the Passover meal. Everybody knew what the Passover meal was at that point in time. And so, uh, I want you to go get it ready. Go get it together, guys. Take care of that for me. And so they said, where do you want us to prepare it? And, and so he replied, listen, this is now take yourself back. You're John or you're Peter, or you're getting ready to be the one who's going to prepare the Passover meal. And here's what he tells you. You say, well, where do I go for this? He says, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. Say, what? There'll be a Culligan water man when you get into Jerusalem, and he's going to have this bottle of water, and he's going to be carrying it. Follow him. But no, no, Jesus, you didn't understand my question. My question was, where do you want us to go prepare for the Passover yeah, go, you'll find this guy. He'll have a jug of water. Follow him. And at the house he enters, say to the owner, <laughs> I mean, really, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And, and they're thinking, John, you're the one who's going to ask the owner because I don't know what this is. No, Peter, no, we'll flip for it, okay? You know, we'll figure out. Somebody's going to have to ask this complete stranger, where do you want us to come and have We're going to come to your house. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a party. We're going to, we're going to observe the Passover at your house. And so, uh, you know, we'd like for you to take care of it. And the Bible says he will take you upstairs, Jesus said, to a large room that's already set up, already set up, and that's where you should prepare our meal. Then they went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. Shock. Wow. Why do we do that? When God does what he says he's going to do in a certain circumstances, we go like, wow, I'm surprised. Wow. I tithe and, and we're doing okay. For we made it through the month. I, 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 you know, I mean, I, I can't believe that I prayed and God answered prayer. Why do we get surprised when we do what the Lord tells us to do? Just as he said. And, and so they prepared the Passover meal. Now, look. Go prepare. I'm going to make an application here. This is not exegeting this particular verse right now. This is an application, okay? Here's the application. Go prepare implies that they had to have the food ready that was prescribed by the Passover. That means they had to have the roasted lamb. They had to have the bitter herbs. They had to have the salt. They had to have water. They had to have the fruit of the vine. They had to have egg. They had to have lettuce. They had to have apples. They had to have nuts, cinnamon, and spices. Those were ingredients for the Passover feast. 
So they had to get all that. That doesn't, you know, I know Jesus could have said, let there be all the elements for the Passover feast, and it would have been done. But he, he said, you guys go prepare it. So they did. <clears throat> and there had to be the preparation of a room, right? A place where they could commune together. And so we must prepare as we go to the upper room of fellowship around the Lord's table. We've got to prepare. And, and in a way, okay, we, 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 you know, Rachel and Pat prepared the elements. We have the unleavened bread. We have the juice up here. They prepared that. I put a table up here. That's not a whole lot of preparation for the room. The food, we just had to purchase it and get it here and put it in the proper containers and places and so on. So that was done. But more important than preparing the room, more important even necessarily than what we went to to get stuff set up here is the preparation of our hearts. I want you to look at this communion in a way maybe that you've never looked at it before. That's the most important preparation you do is your heart. So the command is to go prepare. The caution is this. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the word unworthily. Unworthily is an adverb. Something that It means something that does not square with the character or the nature of that thing. We're taking a symbol of the broken body and the shed blood. And if we take it in an unworthy manner, in some way our character doesn't jive with with the elements, some way our attitude doesn't mesh with what we're doing here, that's unworthily. And if we do it that way, we are guilty, listen to this, of sinning against. And the word for sinning against is a Greek word which means liable. It's a legal term. We are liable. You have liability insurance because if you hit somebody with your vehicle, you need to be able to, to make good the damages. And if you don't, you're, you're in all kinds of trouble. If you take of the communion cup and the bread unworthily, without the right proper attitude and character and, and motivation and so on, then legally you are liable, responsible for the what? Body and blood of the Lord. You know what that means, literally? You've aligned yourself, if you do it in an unworthy matter, you have aligned yourself with those people who drove the nails into his hands and feet, with those people who falsely accused him, with those people who cried out, release unto us Barabbas, what do you want me to do with Christ, crucify him? You align yourself, and I align myself with them if we, in fact, do so in an unworthy manner. That's why Paul said we should examine ourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many are weak and sick and some have even died. Well, what does that mean, preacher? Does that mean uh, in a spiritual sense? Where we? It means literally, physically, some were weak and some were sick and some had died physically because they had been flippant and casual about entering into the upper room and communing with the elements that represent the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number of the t- Notice the number of times judgment is used in verse 29. I just read, God's judgment is upon you. And then verses 31, 32, and 34 below. If we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. And yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are dis- disciplined so that we will not be condemned among the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters when I arrive. 
This is not a casual, ordinary, routine, or uh, uh, just kind of a whatever type thing that we do. We don't want to approach this table with indifference. If we do, we can bring illness or even death upon ourselves. That's a, that's a pretty extreme caution. Have there been times when I have approached the communion table without the preparation of my mind and my heart? I, I'm certain. Why am I not dead? The grace of God. But I don't want anybody here to be adversely affected by not preparing yourself properly. Here's the cost. It took time. It took time for this type of, they had to, they, had, they walked by, they didn't ride, you know, they didn't get an Uber ride into Jerusalem. They had to walk there, probably. They got there, they had to go follow this guy with the Culligan water bottle, you know, and, and then they had to find the owner and talk to him. Then they had to figure out, and, and, I mean, it took a while, it took some time. And so, uh, it, by way, again, of application, the fact is it takes time given to God and to the service of God to be able to worship him. It takes time to be able to minister to him. It takes time to be able to teach the word of God. It takes time to be able to teach the kids like the teachers are doing right now with your children. It takes time, and, and, and you can't just do it without preparation. It took money for the meal. Did you think about that? You think it just, poof, appeared? Oh, somehow, it, had, it took money for that, and, and we, need, we need, if we're really following the Lord, we need to invest. We need to, it's going to take our time. It's going to take our money. It's going to take our tithes and offerings to the church. It's going to take helping people who are less fortunate than are we. It's going to take being generous, not just doing the bare minimum, but being generous. It took effort and energy. They had to walk. They had to go upstairs. They had to do all the stuff that they took. And, and, and Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. When we put the effort into really, I really want to know God. I don't want this to be a casual thing. I don't want this to be an unimportant thing. I don't want this to be just something I rush through, just kind of do. You know what? When I first came, and I've never done communion every, every month, once a month, never have done it in my ministry. And, and I thought, well, does, is it going to get too routine to where... You know, it's just, it's not, because I don't want that to happen. I have been to churches where they did it like every week, and it got so, it's like, let's hurry up and get this done. Never, never, if I ever do that, just drag me off the stage, put me in the baptistry, hold me down. Don't want to be casual about it. It's going to take effort energy. So, yeah, the bad news is I'm only point two. The good news is I only got three points. So sin, the marring of fellowship. Here's his desire. Oh, by the way, this effort and energy. I was thinking, I was asking Pat on the way here. Uh, I had a lady named Teresa Wiley who was at uh, uh, the other church. And Teresa Wiley uh, was married to a Navy guy. And they got transferred to San Diego. They lived in National City. And they were several blocks from the church that she attended, uh, Calvary Baptist Church in National City, and she would get those six, seven, eight kids up every day, get them all, I can't even, we had three, it was like, you know, I'd rather build a skyscraper than get those three kids ready for anything, you know, so she had six, seven, eight kids, and she would get them up, get them breakfast, get them, get their clothes on, get them out the door, and they would walk. They would walk to church, 
And a lot of us would say, well, I don't have, well, not here. You guys all walk or push strollers or ride bicycles or hovercrafts or I don't know what all you do to get here. This is weird. Don't even have a parking lot. What's, what's the deal with that? You know, I'm, but she would walk with those kids every Sunday, be in church. One of my good, one of her sons is a good friend of mine, pastors in Paducah, Kentucky right now. So it takes effort and energy. Sin, the marring of fellowship. That's what messes up fellowship. I'm going to put it in second gear or third gear maybe because we need to get through this. His desire was to eat in fellowship with his disciples one last time, to say his farewells, to teach them yet another lesson because he took a basin of water and he went down to, with a towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet, which we had talked about earlier. It didn't happen to him at one place, but he was doing it. And, and there he was doing, and they were saying, no, no, no. Peter was saying, no, you don't wash me because you're the Lord. I, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, then you wash your feet, then you're not going to have any part in me. He says, well, hey, then give me a bath. And Jesus said, you don't need a bath. You're already saved. You just need your feet, your daily dirty you know, feet washed because you need to do that every day, but, but you're already saved. So just get the sins forgiven, First John 1, 9 type thing, application. And then to share the fact of his betrayal by one of them, he's going to let them know, one of you guys gonna, is going to, um, you're going to betray me, and to institute what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or any number of things. And then he was going to sing together with them and go out to the Mount of Olives to pray. We're in our... I just said, is it 29th day of 40 days of prayer? I think 29th day of 40 days of prayer. Here he is about to die. What would you do if you knew you were going to die in a few hours? I mean, what would you do? <clears throat> Go out and buy a new Ferrari? Not going to do you any good if you did. What would you do if you just had a few hours? You know what he did? He went to the garden to pray. That's how important it is. His adversary, John 13, 2, it was time for the supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of, his, of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. In some translations, it says that the devil entered Simon, Is, I mean, uh, Ju, uh, Judas Iscariot, entered him. <clears throat> In Luke 22, 3, here it is. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, entered into him. He was demon-possessed. Was he a Christian? Absolutely not. Well, wait a minute. He was with them. Yeah, he was. There are a lot of church members that are, that are not born again in every church. A lot of people who think I'm a good person. I think I'm, you know, I think I'm a Christian because, you know, whatever reason. <clears throat> Here Judas was. This was the one who allowed Satan access. Judas Iscariot. And, and to their credit, they all said, Lord, is it me? Is, is it I? Am I the one? Am I the one who's going to betray you? I don't want it to be me. Good question to ask because we're all susceptible, and I have a philosophy and an idea. I was rebuked by a preacher a year or so ago because I said there's no sin that I am not potentially able to commit. There is no sin that I'm not potentially able to commit. I really believe that with all my heart. He said, no, it's not so. So I know you said, there's some things you would not do. I'm just going to tell you, the heart of, of men and women are so desperately wicked that I think we are capable, every person in this room is capable of anything. I really think so. But Paul says this, 
You don't have to because if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Oh, but preacher, you don't understand. I had my, you know, my mom dropped me on my head when I was a baby, and my dad used to call me names. And I was, you know what? I'm sorry. That's not an excuse to do whatever it is you want to do. The temptations in your life no different from what others experience. And God is faithful who will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. He will not allow it to be more than what you can stand. Can I say it a third time? He will not allow it to be more than you can withstand. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. You know what happens when we get tempted? Our eyes focus on the temptation. And he says what you need to focus on are the exit signs. Where's the way out? We're looking at the sin. He said, look for the way out because there's a way out. You're not going to be tempted more. You're not going to be able to be bulldozed into doing something that you have, no, you have no control over. There is a way out. But the trouble is you're not looking for a way out. If we continue to look at the sin, then that's going to be our, our downfall. His solution was redemption. The Passover's ended now. He's through with the Passover. He, and the Lord's Supper has begun, and Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb without spot, slain for us. His blood has been applied, and because of that, the death angel, spiritual second death angel, passes over us. And we have fellowship with him and with each other because of Calvary. So the third point, the upper room. The upper room, the manifestation of fellowship. There's a common loyalty to Christ and to each other. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of Jonah, he asked him three times, do you, really, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, and this was after Peter had betrayed him by denying him. That's the Lord saying, you need to wind it up. Yeah. Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. You know all things. You know I love you. And then Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You should. You will obey my commandments. The two great commandments of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our, each other as we love ourselves tell us supremely what our obligations are. So we have a common loyalty to the Lord, a common loyalty to each other. Secondly, the common experience. They were called from different walks of life. Some of them were called out of a fishing boat. Some of them called away from tax tables. Some of them called away from, uh, I don't know what all, boats, trees. Zacchaeus was called out of a tree to a common path in Christ. Last week I preached on the unity of the body, the diversity of gifts, how that we're all different, and all for one purpose, to glorify Jesus Christ. And we have a common task. Ours is a fellowship of service. We're to serve God by serving each other. 51 of you, 51 of you brought cards up here last week and put them on this table and said, here's my name, here's my passion for ministry. 51 of you did that last week, and I thank God for that. Now, what you say, well, preacher, I'm glad I got that out of the way now. I can just go on with life. No, what you need to do is act on that now. And Darian... Dakota had surgery this week, so she didn't have enough time to do all this this week. But we're going to get all this categorized. And if you said, I love children's ministry, we're going to, we're going to give that name to, to Gat. And Gat's going to come after you. And if you said, you like to you know, help out on the grounds, then we're going, to, we're going to get your name and let you know we need your help. And whatever it is that your passion is. And if you haven't filled out one of those, go ahead and fill it out. Now you know what I'm going to do with it. But anyhow, go ahead and fill it out. Fifty-one of you did. And we have a common commission, the Great Commission. Doesn't get any better than this. Jesus came in and spake and said, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age, the end of the world. 
So if you're going to walk to the cross this month, I don't mean on Good Friday. I hope you can do that. I hope you will do that if you're able to. You guys that are in the SEAL class, tell, your, uh, tell, tell the uh, instructors you, you've got something else to do that's more important. I'm sure they'll let you off for that. If you're going to walk to the cross, and I mean this in a figurative way, you're going to walk to the cross, you're going to, you're going to go there. For, we start in the upper room today in just a few minutes with the, with the bread and the cup. But let me tell you something. If you refuse to take up the bread, if you don't take up the cup, what in the world makes you think for a minute that you'll ever take up the cross? And what does that mean anyhow, taking up the cross? When Jesus beheld this young man and loved him, and he said unto him, you're lacking one thing. And this young man said, I've kept all of the commandments since I was a child, which, by the way, he didn't. He hadn't. He lied right there. He maybe didn't realize it or maybe thought he was a good guy. He, nobody's kept all the law. And he said, one thing you lack, Jesus said. Give, it, give to the poor. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come take up your cross and follow me. And the young man went away sad. Well, you would have too. Because, and it's not that you have to sell everything and give it all away in order to be right with God. It's the idea that Jesus knew because he knew people's thoughts, because he knew what they were saying when they were talking in little groups. He also knew what this guy's hang-up was, and this guy's hang-up was stuff. Stuff was his God. So he said, get rid of it all. Take up your cross. You know what, you know what taking up your cross is? Jesus already died for you. He already died on the cross for you. You were potentially in him when he died on the cross. Now, your cross is the, your burden, whatever it is you have to bear, that you have no control over, that, that is laid upon you by people or maybe by God. I don't know. Take up that cross and walk with the Lord. You must prepare. You must be redeemed. You must fellowship with each other. You must fellowship with the Lord. Only one disciple of the 12 walked away. Don't be like him. So here's what we're going to do in just a moment. We're going to have an invitation. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you will endeavor in a spiritual sense to walk to the cross, again, I'm not talking about Friday night, in a spiritual sense, you're going to endeavor to walk to that cross. You're going to come to this table in a few minutes as the upper room, the beginning of the walk to the cross. And if you will say, I want to take up my cross. We've got some crosses right here. And we want you to come and get one of these and want you to put it in your yard. Rachel will tell you more about it in a minute, how to do it. But, but we want you to take one. One per family. Take it. This is no big cross to bear, I've got to tell you. The one that Jesus bore was overwhelming. He, he bore it for us. But I want you to say this is a symbol of the fact. Preacher, I'm going to take up my cross, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Let's stand together as we pray. Father in heaven, we can't even begin to imagine what it was like for Jesus to come down to the very last few hours when he was going to be crucified. And I never will ever believe that the actual crucifixion is what bothered him and was heavy on his mind in the garden. I think it was the broken fellowship with you 
that had never, ever happened before and never, ever ha will happen again. I think that's what he was saying. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I pray, God, that you would help us. Whatever our cross is to bear, whatever it is, if there's something we need to, we need to crucify to the flesh, if there's some cross we need to bear, Father, may we be willing to do it. May we look at this element of bread and look at the element of fruit of the vine in a way that we've never ever looked at it before maybe for some of us never ever looked at it that way before and may we right now look in our own hearts and may we right now say to the Lord oh God forgive me I am a sinful man I'm a sinful woman Lord forgive me and cleanse me and make me whole God wash the filth from my feet that have, that's gathered there because of, of this being a sinful, dirty world. And God, help me to carry my cross, to walk to the cross. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to receive Christ, I'll be up here. Rachel's over here. Marty's over here. If you want to trust the Lord as your personal Savior, come and talk to one of us. If you want to come and say, you know what? Preacher, I'm going to endeavor to take up my cross and come up and get one. Take it back to your seat. We'll have the invitation right now. Just a minute for anyone else who might want to come take up a cross. Take it home, put it in your yard. Put it by your rack. Stick it in your war room closet. Put it somewhere. Tell people what it's for. I'm going to ask you to be seated. I'm going to ask the leadership team to come and help us prepare for communion in just a moment. Before we do, let me give you a couple of announcements. Tuesday, leadership team meeting, 7 o'clock here at the church. Friday, ladies' Bible study, Jen at uh, 9.30. Child care is provided. Saturday, grace in motion, 8.30. And that'll meet right out on the patio. Next Sunday is your favorite Sunday of the whole year, time change Sunday when you lose an hour of sleep. 
I wish they wouldn't monkey with it. I wish they'd just put it somewhere and, you know, split the difference and leave it or something. Time change. Clocks forward one hour. So go to bed early. I change all my clocks early in the evening so that it tricks me into going to bed earlier. I'm easy to fool. We'll be installing the new leadership team members next week, Nick Ives, who, by the way, be praying for Nick because uh, he was supposed to be baptized the last two Sundays. He has been really sick with bronchitis. And so let's pray for him that he gets well because uh, being on a leadership team, pending, of course, his his, uh, baptism. And then uh, Nick Bobo also will be installed pending uh, the membership class that he'll be attending next time we have one. And Jake Snyder also uh, will be installed next week, so come be here, part of that. And we will have here, the Lord willing, Easter invitations for you to take to your neighbors, friends, family, coworkers, and so on to try to get them to come fill this place up, absolutely fill it up. And maybe, George, maybe we're going to have speakers on a patio, Micah, maybe, and so we can have an overflow and set those up. And hopefully we'll have the awning that has, uh, was gone with the last windstorm repaired, and it'll be back. So kitchen's coming along. Poke your head in there if you get a chance a little bit later on. Uh, it's coming along really well. Rachel, tell us about the, and I've got a microphone right there. Tell us about the crosses, and then Susan, be ready to tell us about the kids' song. Thank you, Rachel. And, and when I first came over to Coronado, there were a lot of people, that, a lot of yards different uh, that had them in there. And I, I thought, well, how cool is that? It's a, it's a testimony every time someone drives by. So thank you, Rachel and Gary, for doing that. We appreciate it. Susan, there's a microphone. I don't know if it's working, but. Okay. Thank you, Susan, and leadership team. Let's go ahead and prepare to pass the element of the unleavened bread. 
And as they do so, let me read a passage from Paul's epistle to the church at Corinth. Kind of a the usual scripture that I read when we do observe communion. Yeah. Yeah, ask everyone to wait until we get it all together. Yeah, go ahead and pass it out. But it will, we'll observe together when it's passed out. Here's what Paul said. I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was, in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he, also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. side of the road hear you speak oh let go fall to my knees as I lift my hands to pray I got every reason to be here again Father's love that draws me in and all my eyes want to see is a glimpse of you cause all I need is you Unleavened bread was a symbol of the spotless, sinless body of Jesus Christ, who never one time in his 33 years on this earth committed a sin, had a sinful thought, spoke a sinful word. And so he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it. I'm going to ask Marty, would you please ask the blessing on the bread? said, this is my body broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me.
leaven and the word of God as a type of sin. That's why we use unleavened bread. The new wine, fruit of the vine, freshly squeezed when a grape is most ripe, to the point of where the skin itself bursts open and the new wine comes out, is that which is the sweetest and the best. No alcohol, which requires a leaven to be able to produce the drinkable alcohol. So this juice also is without leaven. Speaking of the spotless, incredible power of the blood of Jesus Christ, so powerful, it can cleanse me of my most wicked sin. And make me one of his children. It's an amazing thing. The blood of Christ. took the cup, the Bible says, and just before he passed it to them, they asked the blessing on the cup. I'm going to ask Jake, would you ask the blessing on the cup? said this his blood was shed for us all drink ye all of it we didn't talk about it but are we going to do the thank you lord for saving my soul we're going to do it let's get stand together join hands as much as we possibly can as a sign of unity in the church body and we sing thank you lord for saving my soul thank you lord for making me whole